Hello, and welcome to a special excerpt edition of Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, the YA podcast about YA literature and their filmic adaptations and everything in between. And I'm Joe, and unfortunately, Brenna can't join us because we were having technical difficulties. But I'm very excited to welcome my guest. It's Kevin T. Johns. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be on the show. Yeah, it's exciting and odd that we haven't spoken in ages, considering we went to university together. We've known each other for, it's got to be like a decade at this point, minimum. I think that's just part of getting old. (laughs) I think part of getting old is having, just being like confident enough that you know a friendship isn't going to disintegrate just because you're not talking maybe as frequently as would be ideal. That is 100% true. Yeah. Being adult just means losing touch with people, but not losing the connection. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why we're now here to talk about YA stuff. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, even, even you know, if we had been touching base more frequently, we'd probably still just be talking about YA stuff, only not recording it, so... Exactly. Okay, so one of the reasons that Brenna and I wanted to do an interview with you for the show is because you are a YA Canadian author, but what else should people know about you? Give us a 30-second bio. So I'm the author of seven books. I have three young adult novels, as you mentioned. I also have three nonfiction books on the craft of writing, as well as a children's picture book. So I have three young daughters, and uh, I did a children's picture book for them that was a really great experience. I also work as a ghostwriter. So in terms of the seven books I've written, those are under my own name. I've written several other books that have been published under other people's names. And then I'm also a writing coach, so I work with authors to help them get their writing out into the world. I love the fact that you are so diverse. I mean, it's amazing. I remember I read an early draft of your first YA novel shortly after we finished university, and it was so exciting. It sounds a little facetious and terrible of me, but I was so proud of you because you had always talked about wanting to be a writer and working on things, and then you pulled it all together and you made something happen. Yeah, and I feel like I'm still making things happen. (laughs) I'm still early on in all of my businesses as well as in just my business as being an author I still feel like it's in the early stages but something I've learned is it's really about persistence it's really about hanging in there and sticking around it's just doing the work month after month year after year and things build and whether you're a writer or whether you're a podcaster or whether you're making I don't know, websites or, you know, doing whatever creative thing it is you're doing. or It's really about just going after it, but then sticking with it because everything, everything, especially writing, is 10 times more difficult and complicated than you think it's going to be going in. And everything takes 10 times longer to get the results you were anticipating. But uh, patience and perseverance can take you a long way. It's not easy being a creator, you're right. But maybe you can tell me a little bit about how did you get into writing and why have you written so many YA books? So I started writing really from the perspective of a songwriter throughout high school. I was in punk rock bands throughout high school, several different bands that played in the local Ottawa scene. And in the punk rock world, you know, once in a while you'll do a cover for fun, but really the expectation is is that you're writing your own material. So, you know, from when I was probably 13 years old on, I was writing songs and so 
throughout those youthful years, I wrote hundreds of songs. And I think it was in like late high school, I found a textbook in the school library about the history of cinema. And I read that book and I'd always kind of loved movies, but at tail end of high school there, I really fell in love with cinema and started reading books about how to write screenplays. And so I got really into writing and doing screenplays and spent a little time doing that and then ended up going to university to study film and study English lit and then ultimately doing my master's in English literature, uh, I felt pretty confident about my, my literary skills. And it's a heck of a lot easier to get a book published than it is to get a film made. So, you know, I finished university and started writing novels. And, and that was really the transition. So from music to screenplays to book length fiction was was the kind of journey I went on. And then in terms of why YA, I mean, it's a good question. I guess people, artists and authors are drawn to the stories that they've enjoyed. I wouldn't go write a historical fiction novel because that's not what I grew up loving. You know, I grew up loving comic books and horror movies and teen-based melodrama TV shows. And like, you know, some of my youngest memories are watching Nano 210 and Party of Five and all those shows. So I love stories about teenagers. As a writer, young people are so rich with emotions. As, as a creator, that's really what you're looking for is opportunities to dig into emotional storytelling. And from a first kiss or getting beat up by a bully or all of these things that as adults we've experienced and become cynical to, they're all <laughs> new and fresh for young people. And so they're just ripe with opportunity. Uh, you're so right. Brenna and I have had a number of conversations about these seminal moments and just how dramatic and heightened they are. And I think you really touch on the idea that they become a little bit rote as we become adult and we, we take them for granted. Whereas when you're a teenager, you know, the first time you have sex or you have a kiss or you've got a crush or you fail an exam or you have to pass a driver's test or something, it's all first all the time. So it really resonates that much more strongly. Absolutely. And I think there's also more opportunity for change. You know, the older that we get, the more we get stuck in our ways, whereas young people are going through these massive change arcs of figuring out who they are and who they're becoming. And so as a storyteller, you always want to finish your novel in a different polarity from where you started. You want either the characters or the world the story is set in to have been significantly changed by the events of the story. And so teenagers are already in this constant state of change. So you can amplify that up via art in a way you might not be able to quite as easily with a character you know, who's in their 30s and pretty established in who they are and who they're going to be. So thinking about evolution, Let's think of you evolving as an artist. What is your process like and how has it evolved over the course of all these different books? Well, I think there's a misconception, or maybe not even a misconception, but I think when you're young, creativity is kind of amazing and magical, and even maybe writing your first couple books is a little bit like that, but at some point, you know, when you put out your seventh book, it becomes much more like work, and I don't mean to say that work is a bad thing. I think it's the most enjoyable work you can have out there to, to be creating something and to be telling stories, but it is very much 
much like building a brick wall, I think, sometimes where you get in there and you just focus on things one brick at a time. And sometimes that brick is plotting an act or sometimes it's just writing a scene. And I would love to say it's always fun and always exciting. But like anything in life, there's good days and there's bad days. And the more you do it, the less the magic or the mystery and the naivety is there. All of that starts to fade away. But what you're left with is confidence and experience and the wisdom of having tried things and knowing what works and what doesn't and also just figuring out what's right for you. I mentioned I work as a writing coach and it would be really nice if I could just say, here's the exact thing to do to be a happy, productive, successful author. But of course, everyone approaches things completely differently. And so early on in a writing career, a lot of it is just about figuring out what works for you. You know, something as simple as, are you a morning writer or do you work better at night or do you work better at home or are you a person who really benefits from writing in a coffee shop as you evolve through a writing career those things get a lot more locked down so the writing process in some ways while perhaps it becomes less magical it also becomes a lot easier because you have the confidence of knowing what you're doing and what works for you yeah it's so true I think we love to put on our rose-colored glasses and talk about how, you know, creativity is magical and there's a spark and all these kinds of things. I'm with you. It's not that that isn't the case, but I think the evolution of an artist is such that you think of it less as something that you pull it out of thin air and you think of it as, I have a craft that I need to hone and figure out how to be the best creator that I can be. And whether that means the coffee shop or the night or the quiet room or, you know, for me, I have to always have music when I write or else Mm. I just absolutely can't handle the thudding silence of it all. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I primarily work with first time authors or people early on in their writing career it's something I see almost across the board is in first novels the protagonist is almost always some version of the author and I was no different in my first book the page turners there's three main protagonists but all three of them were just aspects of me you know one of them was kind of me when I'm grumpy and angry and one of them was me when I'm nerdy and one of them was like me when I'm romantic but they were all aspects (laughs) of me and my experience and the story was very much set in a town like the town I grew up in and myself and and so many first-time authors you really draw from your own life experience and you really identify with your characters. But M School, for example, my last novel, you know, I'd grown and experienced uh, enough as a writer at that point where I was pretty confident to write a novel about a protagonist who was nothing like me. So Lilith, my main character in M School, for one, she's a girl. <laughs> I'm a guy. <laughs> um, I'm an extremely emotional person. She is extremely non-emotional. And, you know, that's just something I think that you, you become more confident in. And you also just come to understand characters character better uh, the more experienced you get and so I, I've definitely reached a point now where I, I don't feel like all of my protagonists have to just transparently be some version of myself I'm much more comfortable creating characters and exploring their perspective on the world which can be very different from my own I'm glad that you bring up M school because Brenna and I both definitely had a couple of questions about the shift away from a male protagonist and as you said a storyline that you're much more familiar with it, where you were drawing from your own past to something where you're now writing a teenage girl she's essentially emotionless but you're also talking about something that's completely out of your realm which is high school assassin so how did you get into lilith's headspace did you do research did you 
talk to women? Did you, you know, tap your 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 three daughters and get their opinions or how did that work? So M school was a very conscious choice to try a few different things. So the most obvious one was that the page turners and the page turners economy of fear, the sequel were very much about boys and set in this boys world. And so I wanted to do something different. So one of the immediate things to do was to really write a story focused on girls and focused on women, but other aspects are different as well. For example, the page turners books are written in past tense. M school is written in present tense. The page turners books are written in third person point of view. M school is written in first person point of view. And so while, you know, the fact that I was writing from a girl's point of view is maybe the most obvious change from my perspective, there was a lot of technical differences that I was just interested in trying. After writing two novels a certain way, exploring certain things, I just wanted to try something different. And then in terms of getting into a female headspace, I don't know, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it, I don't think, because I'd, I'd written women characters before. Any male or female author is going to be writing characters of both genders and, and uh, genders in between. So um, it wasn't like a, a huge thing for me. I didn't go talk about you know what the female experience was like. I would say... What I did notice, however, was how much we sexualize women and their bodies. So, for example, like, say, a locker room scene in a novel about men, you know, if they played a game of soccer and then went into a locker room and got changed, I don't think there'd necessarily be some sort of sexual aspect to it. But in M School, as I'm writing these scenes, I'm suddenly very conscious of the fact of how how women's bodies are, are like, immediately sexualized and immediately objectified in ways that male bodies aren't necessarily and so I was conscious of it but I don't know I maybe I completely missed the mark I mean there haven't been too many women who've, who've uh, burned me at the stake or anything but I, I just approached Lilith as a character the, the way I would approach any other character which is you know trying to understand what her point of view is on the world and really what her object of desire is you know what is it she's trying to achieve um, because for any character that's what's going to drive their action the, the actions and the decisions a fictional character makes are on behalf of a goal that they're trying to achieve. And so I, I didn't get too deep into the politics of being a male writing a, a female character. I just tried to approach her the way I approach all my characters. And when you're thinking about this process, particularly with this character, because she is removed from your own experience, I'm assuming based on our shared history that I know that you're familiar with tons of different types of strong, interesting, diverse female characters. Like we could turn this into to a Buffy podcast in a hot second. But when you were thinking about Lilith and, and the other characters, do you sketch them out? Do you, you know, you mentioned that they've got goals and that's what's driving their reactions and their interactions. Do you plot that out when you're writing? Do you script out the encounters how do you construct your book, essentially? <laughs> so I think there's kind of two different common approaches to, to coming at storytelling. And one is really a structurally based approach where you're really looking at the external plot. And so physical actions that are driving a story forward. Someone is killed. Something is stolen. A building blows up. You know, And you build your story around these established concepts of story structure, with the beginning and a middle and an end and and 
I mean, I, I don't want to turn this into a story structure podcast, but it, there's methods and there's templates in place. The hero's journey, all of these things have kind of been identified and established for effective storytelling. And that's one method of coming at things. The other method, Lisa Cron is a writing instructor who's a big proponent of this other method. And that's really starting with character and just starting with what is your character? What is their misunderstanding of the world? What is the change they're going to go through in all of that? And I'm a writer who falls on the former side of things. So I just sit down and I figure out the plot. And through the plot, the characters emerge somewhat organically. But um, there's certainly other uh, authors who start 100% with character. But that's not it for me. For me, it's really about that big story. It's about the big arc and the major story moments. And then I let my characters, to a certain extent, reveal themselves to me. Because you can do a lot of work you could say like oh whatever Lilith loves this TV show and this is her favorite band but like what does that matter when you know she walks into a a room and finds her best friend murdered like how people react when under pressure and how people react when in stressful environments that's when their true character is revealed and so I I let my characters reveal that to me by putting them (laughs) in really stressful horrible situations yes like the inciting incident in M school I was (laughs) shocked that you're basically like here's this amazing character and i killed her in the very first chapter (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's a book about violence and to a certain extent i was trying to subvert a bit this idea of the hero who solves everything through violence so many of my favorite stories happen that way i mean i love buffy i love star wars i love all these things where ultimately violence is the solution but in m school i was exploring this idea that in my own experiences in life violence rarely solves anything and what violence usually does in my experience is lead to cycles of further violence Mm -hmm. and so in m school i really wanted to take this idea of a kind of why trope of this cool teenager who could do awesome violent stuff but what I do hopefully I I try to do anyway over the course of the novel is really start to turn that on its head and and really have the reader start to question this idea of of, you know like my goal was kind of like what if by the end of a Harry Potter book you were kind of like starting to cheer for the Death Eaters and starting to really worry about the intentions of the staff of Hogwarts. That that was kind of the idea that, you know, we go in with these expectations that, oh, this is going to be a fun, cool school that's going to train her to do cool violence. And and my goal, really, by the end of the book is to have the reader be saying, hmm, this is maybe this is... (laughs) Exactly. Maybe, you know, killing people in revenge isn't the way to solve life's problem. I see that the old screw the establishment punk rock Kevin is still alive and well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, the, the entire book was actually really inspired by my experiences working in the public service and observing the sociopathic tendencies of executives in big organizations and just seeing the the way they can just kind of completely remove emotion and remove empathy from the way they go about their lives. And, and it, it seems like, in my experience anyway, in government, the more kind of socio- sociopathic you are, the more you kind of move up in the ranks and, and find success in that world. And I was so horrified by that. And so I was really interested in exploring 
exploring the ramifications of like what does it mean to to not have empathy for your fellow person what does it mean to really see other people as as pawns that you can use to achieve your aims and so i think all of my art is trying to tear something down in, in some respects it's so funny because you know as a as a writing coach i'm all about positivity and i'm all about the benefits of being a writer and all the wonderful things writing can do for the world but as a actual fiction writer myself i'm all about uh, tearing things down through <laughs> art i think it really lends itself well to YA literature though because those themes are so present in i mean we haven't done a ton of speculative fiction or the super powered people i think <laughs> brenna's trying to dodge that bullet for a little while but we've definitely noticed that cycles of trauma and violence just how they affect people is very ever present in the literature yeah and i think i think part of that is as adults writing about teenagers we're trying to tell a story of how we became the messed up adults that we are <laughs> you know it's like we, we look at ourselves in the mirror where we're like I'm, I'm so much more broken than i used to be and i'm so much more tired than i used to be and nothing turned out the way i thought it was going to be and and then we kind of project the, that frailty of adulthood back onto our youth and then we we kind of <laughs> take these children and run them through the ringer as as perhaps a justification for why we've ended up so messed up and broken as adults. Wait, is this now a parenting podcast? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've had people ask me, how do I write teenagers? Like, what's the difference in writing a young adult book as opposed to writing about adults? And my perspective is always writing about teenagers is just writing about less broken people. <laughs> like, I remember mm. being a teenager and being like, I feel like these adults probably don't know much more than I do. And then I became an adult and I was like, it's totally confirmed. I knew it. I knew these adults didn't know anything all along. And I really do kind of believe teenagers are human beings at their best. And it's really the human being before the world has kind of crushed them and beaten them down and, and, and uh, taken it to them. So my approach to writing teenagers is I, I just write them like adults who haven't yet been completely broken to pieces. And then uh, I try to break them a bit through the story. <laughs> right. It's the first break. Yeah. That's part of coming of age storytelling. I mean, that's part of becoming an adult is realizing that the world isn't perfect and that life is really, really difficult and challenging and that we're all going to experience traumas. We're all going to experience horrible things. And some of us are going to persevere and some of us are going to be broken down by them. Right. So let's shift gears and talk a little bit about the publication process and what it's like to see your book out in the real world. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that's so exciting with your first book. Like the first time it arrives in the mail, the proof copy, and you open that up and you hold it in your hand. It's like something you've been dreaming about for decades. It's it's really, really cool and special. But obviously, as you do it again and again and again, it gets a little less special each time and becomes a little more of a run-of-the-mill experience. So just the idea of, of getting a proof in the mail nowadays doesn't kind of light me up the way it used to. But what I can say, what what's really blown me away way about having books out in the world is just the opportunities that it's opened me up to the people I've met, the businesses I've started, you know, conferences I've chaired things at or summits I've been invited to be a guest on or podcasts like this one, you know, like this is fun getting on a podcast and talking about YA literature. These are things that just wouldn't be afforded 
related to me if I hadn't done the writing and hadn't put those books out into the world. So I think as young artists, we have these hopes and dreams of fame and fortune and, and all of that. But it, in reality, I, I think what you ultimately discover is, yeah, maybe a dump truck full of money is in pulling up in front of your house on a weekly basis. But your life improves because the experiences you get to have are the experiences that a published author gets to have. And, you know, there's a lot of authors out there, but there's also a lot of people who wish they were authors. And, and it is, to a certain extent, a unique little club that you get access to when you hit that print button and you have the guts to create something and put it out into the world. So what it's been like is wonderful. And I just every day try to embrace these amazing opportunities and the, the wonderful people that I get to meet. Well, that's really inspiring. And I think it's important to remind people that a it takes a lot of guts and gumption to actually go ahead and realize this dream. I mean, I've I think I've written probably five or six drafts, never had the guts to actually try to finish it and get it out into the world. So that's amazing. But also, I think the realization that if you really have this passion, it can't just be about hitting the print button and then making a ton of cash or getting a lot of attention. The fact that you've talked about the different kinds of opportunities and doors that it's opened up for you, I think is a really interesting, important takeaway. You're not doing this to get rich, like you still have a day job, but you get to do all these other amazing, interesting opportunities that people who are just doing that regular job won't get the opportunity to experience. Absolutely. And it also forces you to have a perspective and ha to have a point of view on the world. Telling a story is about entertaining an audience, but it's also about having something to say about the world. You know, it, it's nice to kind of box yourself in sometimes and, and kind of say, hey, you know, I do have a unique perspective on some aspect of what it means to be a human being. And that perspective is valid. And I've articulated it enough to put it into a book. Yeah. So some of these experiences that you've had, I know many of them have been virtual. Some of them have been in person, different types of festivals. Is any of that experience unique to being a Canadian or more broadly speaking, is there anything unique about being a Canadian writer as opposed to an author for the US or Europe? I don't associate my art with my nationality. I, I've worked with writers from all across Canada, from all across America. I have clients in Europe. I've had clients in Australia. Uh, and I meet with these people on a regular basis, on a weekly basis for coaching calls. So for a, you know almost five years now, I've been talking with people from all around the world on a weekly basis. And from my experience, human beings and, and artists and writers have so much more in common than we have differences. And you got to think about storytelling itself. I mean, storytelling is universal. When Joseph Campbell wrote The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is the book that coined the phrase The Hero's Journey and kind of codified these cross-human story tropes, he identified that by looking at myths and stories from all around the world. Like, the idea of the hero's journey isn't uniquely American or uniquely Canadian, but those things that make us different are so small and so rare. I mean, in, in a world where Trump is president, you certainly start to, <laughs> you know, feel it, it's, it's a lot easier to feel proudly Canadian when you when you look what's going on down south. But that said, I just, I don't see 
did. I talked to so many writers from all around the world and the things that we write about and the things that we have to say and the, the problems that we go through and the hopes and dreams that we have for our lives. It's so universal. And so I don't subscribe to this idea of, of you know, because someone drew an imaginary border between New York and Toronto or New York and Ottawa, suddenly we're so different from one, one another. And my, my writing is so uniquely Canadian. I mean, I, I just don't buy that. Fair enough. Something that's uniquely Canadian is that every Canadian author has to make the decision of where they're going to set their book. Are they going to set it in Canada and, and thus be a distinctly Canadian book or not? And so what I've tried to do is is cheat on that. And I just I try to set all my stories in this really vague space that just exists in between Ottawa and New York somewhere. And I try to make it vague so that, you know, perhaps my American readers can assume it's America and perhaps my uh, Canadian readers can assume it's Canada. Right. And I think it depends, too, on some of the stories that you're telling. If the geographical location isn't a really key determinant to what you're trying to convey or what you're interested in exploring, then it's not as important. Yeah, I mean, in the page turners, it's set in this small town and there are absolutely issues of rural community versus urban community. I'm not going to pretend that setting doesn't greatly impact the story that's being told, but I just feel like a small town in Canada is probably pretty similar to a small town in America and probably not all that different than a small town in Sweden. I mean, I certainly explore issues of geography and of the difference between an urban life and a rural life but i just don't draw like national boundaries around that right all right so we're now up to our fun final fun question Mm -hmm. so you can you can pick any of your books for this Mm -hmm. i guess you wouldn't pick the nonfiction ones but uh if you could see one of your books adapted into a feature film or a television series do you have an imaginary cast that you would go with or a director or somebody that you think could bring that vision alive so I think the the Page Turners trilogy is this overly ambitious idea I had as a naive young writer. I wanted to combine sci-fi and horror and fantasy, you know, in the way something like Buffy or the comic books I read growing up. I always loved the idea that Spider-Man would fight an evil robot one issue and then the next issue be fighting like, you know, a wizard or whatever. Like, I, I just love that. And so that's what I tried to bring to that series. But I think because of that, I, I don't know how coherent a a film or a uh, television series it would be but m school i i certainly think would make a fantastic film and i think budget wise and setting wise it could very practically make a really reasonably budgeted really great action film i, I was trying to think of like who who might be good for that and i, I landed on uh, as a director or maybe writer director um drew goddard might be someone mm. who's good for that you know drew uh goddard wrote for buffy he wrote for angel he directed cabin in the woods and now he's the showrunner on Daredevil as well as The Good Place and he really understands that mix of horror and action with comedy because I, I do think like M School is pretty bleak but I think it's it's hopefully so bleak that people can find some humor and some fun in it I certainly do anyway and so uh, I think that that pedigree that Godard brings to it in terms of balancing all of those things I was trying to do some philosophical explorations of the role violence plays 
plays in our lives and the role that sociopathic behavior has. And so just the idea that Godard's involved with something like The Good Place, where they're exploring these sorts of ideas on, on a regular basis on a TV show would be great. So that was where I, I landed in terms of who I thought might be good for M School. Yeah, it's a good pick. Yeah, good with the mixing of the genres and dealing with some of those weightier issues, but still managing to find some of that levity as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the experience of thinking about how your book can be adapted to a film is actually a really, really useful exercise for for any writers out there or aspiring authors listening to this. One of the most common kind of writing advice things you hear is, you know, show, don't tell. And one of the really easy ways to know whether you're showing or telling in your fiction writing is ask yourself, how is this going to play in the movie or in the TV adaptation because if you're dumping a bunch of exposition via narrative you know that's not how film works film works by characters moving and taking action and saying things and so I I often draft a scene and and, you know it's filled with info dumps and exposition and really telly bits but then I stop and I say how is this going to work in the film and things that were in the exposition get put into dialogue and things that a character was maybe just feeling are demonstrated physically you know it's it's so much better to say you know the character wipe the sweat from their forehead is so much better than than saying oh you know so and so was really nervous well yeah we get that they're nervous but how's that going to play in the film it's going to play through physical action and so I, I think it's a super fun exercise but also just a technically useful exercise for a novelist to take their fiction run it through that that process of saying how is this going to work on film filled with tons of great advice it's so helpful so kevin you're obviously doing this professionally with a lot of aspiring authors how can people get a hold of you how can people hire you where can they find you on the internet yeah my home is www.kevintjohns.com so the t is like tiberius and james t kirk kevin t johns and you know that's kind of my home base i do a lot of blogging about writing there that's where you can find all the episodes of the writing coach podcast we're probably going to break 100 episodes early in 2019 so we got time tons of material there and if people are listening to this and they are authors or aspiring authors i do give away a free copy of my book novel advice motivation inspiration and creative writing tips for aspiring authors Uh, so that's a free book there that you can just opt in via email and you can get uh, a free book of mine and check that out amazing okay well thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talking about your process and sharing those tips and yeah everybody go and check out kevin's work read his fiction the children's book that he wrote with his daughter is super adorable and makes great gifts as well absolutely rocket princess versus snaggletooth the dragon (laughs) thanks so much for having me joe it was such a thrill to get to chat with you and i just love getting into this stuff with you so it's great yeah thank you likewise